When he went through that window, he was as good as dead. But they made one big mistake. They forgot to bury him. All he's got now is a gun. That's more than enough for the man called Noon. The truth about the man called Noon is like a time bomb waiting to explode with the fury of desperate men, dangerous women. Rated R. Of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome to the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight is an episode of our Beyond Nashy stream of shows. Mm. It's Beyond Nashy number 30. However incorrect that number may be if you do an actual real <laughs> yeah. count. We're There's a hidden, the hidden track in there somewhere. <laughs> a, yeah, really. There's a hidden show. It's floating around in yeah. the feed there if you dig deep enough. So Beyond Nashy you can't even see it. So. <laughs> tonight... A Beyond Nashy film. One that, uh, okay, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, every now and then, Troy and I, not, don't, we don't so much stretch the bounds of what mm-hmm. Beyond Nashy was originally meant to be, so much as we strain just a mm-hmm. little off the beam, just a, yeah. a little to one side, because we kind of want to cover a Western. Yeah. I think this is our third, if I'm right, Western we've done on Beyond Nashy, because we did... Cutthroat's Nine. And we did White Comanche. White Comanche. So I believe this is that's the only other two, I think, right? I think you yeah. are correct. If yeah. there's another one, I can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I can't it. think of what it would be, but... But we do occasionally... Mm. Say, something will draw us to it. <laughs> like, say, a, a Shatner. Yeah. Or, or the, graphic violence, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but there are Nashy connections in this film. Absolutely. Yes, there several. certainly are. And this film that we're talking about tonight was definitely shot in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, it's often categorized as a spaghetti western. I'll have some uh, I'll have some back and forth, some yes and no, some agreement and disagreement mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that particular way of looking at this movie. Right. But tonight we're covering The Man Called Noon from 1973. Adapted from a Louis L'Amour novel, which uh, mm-hmm. that's a first for us, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, t- uh, just out of curiosity, uh, have you read much or any Louis L'Amour? Very little. I actually want to read more. I th- I've read 
I feel like I've read one or two, and I don't. It's been so long. I mean, it was like growing up, and you yeah. know, I don't even I don't even think I could tell you which ones they were because he wrote like three hundred of them. So you know, so <laughs> he did, yes. Uh, so I don't remember what they were, but no, i actually that's something I've always wanted to do is delve into more of his of his writing. But uh, yeah, I would say I've probably read somewhere between five and ten mm-hmm. Louis L'Amour novels over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, it's been a long time <clears throat> since I've read one. Yeah, but I mean, I think I started. I started with a non-Western one. He uh, mm-hmm. Later in his career, he wrote a couple of uh, historical fiction novels, one called The Walking Drum, and I think actually that's the one that I picked up first for some reason, okay. sometime in the 80s. And uh, But then I did read a few of his Westerns. Uh, I think the first one I picked up, I don't remember the title, I have to admit, mm-hmm. but I do remember it being actually set in modern day instead of it being uh, uh, set in Western times, mm-hmm. but it was very much a Southwestern tale. Mm-hmm. Of you know ranches and mm-hmm. and uh, ne'er be wells, but the uh, thing I took away from Louis L'Amour's novels is that they were they were good men's adventure, men's action film, uh, mm-hmm. action. Uh, I'm sorry, action stories. I enjoyed what I read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not necessarily gone back in a number of years, and I have mm-hmm. to say, when I realized that this film was based on a Louis L'Amour novel, there was a part of me that wondered, wait, a minute, is this one of the ones I read? <laughs> yeah. But then as the movie spooled out, it didn't ring any bells, so. Mm-hmm. Probably not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though that was right. a few decades ago. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think I would completely forget a plot this intriguing. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything else been going on? We, we're all trapped in the uh, the COVID mm-hmm. hell. I did uh, unlock the uh, door under the stairs and let Troy out for this recording. <laughs> uh, I did beam the movie. Only after passing many, many screenings, many, many... Uh... <laughs> We did. We did hose him down with lie. Yeah, and then and then gave me several bouts from a flamethrower. You know, gusts from a flamethrower, just to be sure everything was sterilized. We wanted to make sure that those things that were popping off your hair were just hairs. Yes, not something alive that could come from my throat. But uh, has there been anything? I mean, I know you haven't been out to the movies. Uh, no, I've not been out to the movies. I've been out to any shows. I haven't played any shows. Uh, no, uh, but definitely, been, you know, yeah, I've certainly been catching up on. You know, certainly reading and watching movies and TV shows. You know, watching and so so uh, so. I guess that's that's uh, that that's kind of been a, you know, that and other than just trying to stay creative. You know, I've been writing, working on songwriting uh, since I've got no shows right now. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, that's so. Yeah, this is it's it's been a it's been a, a strange time. Yeah, lots of lots of isolation and, and not not seeing many people, missing a lot of people. Um, Any fresh viewings that uh, were particularly good or bad? Um, because I, mean, I can start off with a bad one. Okay. Yes. Yes. You go ahead and, and you start us off on a sour note. You know, tell us what's what's cursed your what's well, what's burned sins right. your retinas lately. Last year, I forget exactly when, uh, Severin did a big sale of a bunch of things that they were losing the rights to because they wanted to get they want and they wanted to get rid of their stock as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. So I broke one of my sworn. <laughs> statements about never doing again and i bought a couple of uh, late late in the uh, late in his career bruno batai films oh lord i bought uh <laughs> island of the living dead and zombies the beginning wow and uh i have now watched island of the living dead and i guess i got my five bucks worth out of it uh in that i've now watched the film uh it's just as terrible as I assumed it would be. Um, so living in a real life plague didn't give it a certain extra resonance or extra <laughs> gravitas. Um, no, no, it did not. What it gave, what it gave me, was uh, the desire to reassess my purchasing choices <laughs> yeah. in the future. Yeah, just because it's five dollars. Mm. 
mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should push <laughs> the button and yeah. get it. Yeah. Uh, but this is uh, th- this is the thing I've always had. There was a there was a, there's a kind of joy and enjoyment that I get out of Bruno Mattai films from the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. They're not good, mm-hmm. but they can be very entertaining in a way yeah. that those later movies just aren't because yeah. he uh, he he. It didn't feel like there. There came a point where he wasn't having scripts written so much as mm-hmm. finding a movie that was a hit, mm-hmm. and then copying huge segments of mm-hmm. that into a slightly new scenario, mm-hmm. and then calling it a movie. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what Island of the Living Dead is because you could spot, you know, it's essentially let's take Fulci's zombie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only a couple decades old. Maybe yeah. people have forgotten about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and we'll just reshoot we'll, yeah. we'll, different characters, and we'll we'll trade we'll we'll we'll, we'll throw a, a, a little bit of the fog in there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll just we'll just do that. Let's do yeah. that. Yeah. And we'll throw the ending. We'll throw the ending of uh, Island of Doctor Moreau on the end. We'll do that. We'll do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, of course. And. Uh, it's it's bad, the, the, and, and the, he's so unapologetic. It's such a bad film, and it is such an obvious copy of of, of a different film mm-hmm. that most people who would be watching a zombie film would be familiar with. Yeah. So when they do the bit where they're they're recreating poorly, the mm-hmm. uh, splinter of wood headed toward a woman's eye uh, uh, sequence from yeah. Zombie, there's that part of you that just that that. You're, I, I, okay, let's put it this way. I was kind of impressed with the audacity of yeah, going. Just did, yeah. We're just that's gonna really, yeah. fucking yeah. copy that scene. Uh-huh. And then there's another part of me that's mm. going, yeah, but you didn't have the balls to follow through like Fulci did. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't really have the balls to do that, or yeah. this, or the money yeah. to like pull the mm. to pull the effect off in a way that would have been, you know, possibly mm. of mm. any quality at all. Yeah. But <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. I'm the Living Dead. Um, don't get me wrong. There's a there's an audience out there for it. Uh, clearly, I guess I'm kind of it because I did watch the fucking thing. Oh Christ! So there, yeah, there on mm-hmm. a on a what the hell am I doing with my life kind of <laughs> note. Yeah, Bruno Matai's Island of the Living Dead. I have no idea why. <laughs> well, some I you know I've had to guess a little better luck with some of my viewing experiences. Although not Beast of Yucca Flats, we did talk about that before we started recording. <laughs> is that unfortunately I. Suffered through Beast of Yucca Flats, you know, which is again, which is that's even the worst. That's even the worst thing is when you put again at the end of it there. Yep. But uh, uh, but other than that, I uh, I did get to see uh, you know went ahead as soon as it came out on uh, on home video. I had not I did not get to see uh, the Color Out of Space in the theater. Ah, yes. But I just felt pretty certain I would enjoy it based on just reaction of you and and most of the people I knew who were in that. And so I really enjoyed that a lot. I watched it as soon as I got thing. it. Really enjoyed that movie. And I've been uh, started a rewatch of uh, uh, of my I've been planning this for quite a while of Game of Thrones. When the last I was waiting for the last Blu-ray set to come into hand, you know, to rewatch. I've I've never rewatched a single episode since it began all these years because right. I was waiting till the final to get the final set in my hand to just start from the beginning again. And uh, thoroughly enjoying that, you know, just uh, uh, so much stuff I'd forgotten, and of course knowing the whole story arc you know just so much things have even more weight you know and and connections and uh just really thoroughly enjoying that on a rewatch and i'm rewatching penny dreadful um oh, good show and i'm just again always just astounded at eva green's performance i think it's one of the most amazing television performances i've ever seen just the power she oh, the stuff she pulls off in that series is just incredible that, that's a that, that is a that is a show with a lot of fine performances it really is. yes miss green is uh top top of the 
mm. top of the list on that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. You Absolutely. are correct. I'm uh, thoroughly enjoying this uh, most recent season of Better Call Saul right now, which is possibly one of the greatest television series I think mm. that's ever existed. Yeah, that's one it's I'm planning. Incredible. I haven't started yet, but I'm planning on watching for sure. So it's yeah, do, watch Breaking Bad and then. Well, I've watched yeah. Breaking Bad. I love that, but I've, yeah, yeah. I def- definitely want to watch Better yeah. Call Saul. Yeah, it's. The perfect prequel, and yeah. it it adds so much depth. It is so well written that an hour of television can honestly scare me, and not yeah. scare me because it's a horror story, mm-hmm. but scare me because I'm so invested in the characters, and mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. them to do well. I want them to survive. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's a it's an amazing show. It's a, it's it's an incredible thing. But we're not here to talk about mm-hmm. those things right now. Those are for another time. Yes. Yes. When, uh, when we're older and grayer, I was going to say old and gray, but obviously. I think we're, yeah, we've yeah. sort of, that ship sailed already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true, true, truly. Feet of clay, mm-hmm. hair of gray. But I think what you were going to get at earlier was, you know, answer the question, which I think most people who've heard some of the recent episodes, I think they heard us coming up with this idea on the air, the what it was that caused us to know that we had to figure out a way oh. to justify covering this film tonight. <laughs> And it's a totally prurient one, but you know yes, we we, we get into that sometimes. So it does, it does. But there'll be much, much to talk about with the the man mm. called New. Uh, mm. We'll take a quick break, come back, and then uh, we'll dive into a discussion of this. I will say uh, we're going to try really hard to not spoil well over half of this movie. Yeah, because yeah. we want to encourage people to see this movie because it uh, it's worth your time. In our opinion, mm-hmm. we don't want to spoil roughly half a dozen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. reveals within the structure yeah. of the story. So yeah. we're going to try to be spoiler-free. Cross our fingers. <laughs> we're really going to try. I hope we don't fuck this up. Yeah, me too. We'll be back in a moment. Vampires. Werewolves. Zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Tell more crates. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f- that up. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> As we drag Kathleen, hear me, kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault.
The Man Called Noon, 1973, based on a Louis L'Amour novel. Let's talk a moment about the director. Yes, I do. Peter Collins. Yeah. Now, I knew him primarily because of a couple of uh, 1970s Hammer movies that he made. And I have to admit, uh, I did not find those two films to mm-hmm. be something that would <clears throat> entice me to seek out more. Yeah, films. they're not really considered two of the better or you know, the not two of the more talked about Hammer films. He made Fright, which I think is a pretty good little movie. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he made Straight Down Till Morning, which I have just never warmed to. I've never no. thought that much mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. There are people who are impressed by it. It is now available on uh, Blu-ray and... Uh, Fans of it can, you know, therefore feel that that movie has gotten its due to a certain degree on video, but I've not been a fan of that film. I did get kind of a, a, a joy out of his uh, 70s version of Agatha Christie story, Ten Little Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, his remake of The Spiral Staircase was actually not too bad. No, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, uh, it's not too bad. I mean, no. it's not, uh, if memory serves, uh, I, I was not viewing a. a legitimate legal copy when I watched it <laughs> several years ago. But I did think it was pretty good. It's nowhere near the quality of the original uh, you know, 1946 Spiral Staircase. But mm-hmm. it, it did impress me as not being a, an embarrassment. But of course, what he's really most known for would be uh, the Italian job. Yep. The yep. Michael Caine film. Yeah, which is a very entertaining movie. Really, really enjoy them, and really, really enjoy that film. Uh, I still have not seen You Can't Win Them All, which I hear a lot of good things about. I really enjoy that movie. I was, I was going to say, when I went to kind of do my research on this film or watching it, it was a really pleasant surprise to see, because I knew I was familiar with his name. Right. But I, but then when I saw that, because that's actually a film that I've enjoyed for years, uh, You Can't Win Them All, one that I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for it to get some kind of legitimate release. Um and to my knowledge, it never has. I've never seen it released. Anyway, now, either you or John Hudson or, or one of my good friends, um, shall we say, magically produced a copy for a version <laughs> of it for me. So I do have a version of it, but it's never. But I'm waiting for it to get some kind of official release. It's also known under the title Soldiers of Fortune. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's at, uh, it's got Tony Curtis and uh, Charles Bronson are the two main stars oh, in okay, it. okay, yeah. And it's just a real fun, yeah, it's just real fun kind of Western uh, treasure hunt, you know, Treasure Sierra Madre kind of thing, and it's uh, it's really entertaining. So I, I was so yeah, that was a complete surprise when that popped up because I had not associated his name with directing this film. But that's one that uh, if it ever does come out, I, it will be a very cool thing. But yeah, you can't win them all, so try and watch for that one someday. Well, an obscure one of his that uh, I have I, I didn't see until it came out on Blu-ray a couple of year couple of three or four years ago. I think it may be out of print now. Is Innocent Bystanders? Innocent Bystanders. Okay. Uh, Peter Collinson directed that. Uh, it's uh. uh Geraldine Page and uh, uh, Stanley Baker, Donald Pleasance. It's a it's a spy movie. Uh, it's not mm. it's not a great movie, but it was it was definitely entertaining and worth seeing. And uh, like I say, I don't know what made me go out of my way to pick that up on Blu-ray, considering I had never seen it before. <laughs> but I, uh, I I was curious enough to see it, and so Peter Collinson. I I can't mm. like I say his. Straight on till morning is the first mm. thing I think I saw from mm. him that and knew it was him mm. other than the Italian mm. job. Right. And it was like, I think I'd seen the Italian job and then straight on till morning and went, okay, we're at 50% here. This yeah. batting average is not that, this, yeah. this batting average is not doing well. But the more of his stuff I saw, the more impressed I was by him. This film it goes into the wind column yeah. for me as yeah. well. And he died. And he died young, unfortunately. And I don't yeah. remember right off how he died, but he died at age of 44, which is a real shame. But, yeah, he died of some kind of cancer. I'm not sure what what type. At 44, that's harsh. Well, that's yeah. that's cancer. Cancer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, 
went into this thinking, okay, well, he's an interesting director. Let's see mm-hmm. what he can do with it. Yeah. Here's an odd little juxtaposition. There, mm-hmm. there was a, a film made around the same time based on another writer's work, mm-hmm. uh, Alistair MacLean, uh, Charles Bronson movie called Breakheart Pass. And I, I kind of have the same feeling with this movie as I have with mm-hmm. Breakheart Pass. When, when I watch Breakheart Pass, it's very clear to me that they shot a much longer script mm-hmm. than we are seeing. Mm-hmm. I, I like Breakheart Pass, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it's very clear watching the movie that there were things that were supposed to be in the movie that they trimmed away at. They trimmed away at. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. In this movie, this movie feels like it was originally slated to be about 10 minutes longer, give or take, mm-hmm. to kind of give a little bit more air to some of the uh, twists and turns and revelations that go on in the latter half of the film. Mm-hmm. Because when we get to the last half an hour, it feels like there's a lot of a lot of information being given to us. Yeah. As, in a really quick rat-a-tat-tat fashion. And, it, and I'm betting money that there was a little bit more space in between those story beats. Well, it's funny you say that because I uh, I wouldn't have put it quite that way. I didn't think about it that way, but it kind of falls in line with my feeling that the first three quarters of the film is a little better than the last third of it. And all. Like it feels, it, it, it feels flows, crushed. but it does, it does. It, to me, there's some things that go on that are in the last third that definitely don't, you know, spoil the film for me at all, but yeah. that I felt like kind of a little silly. They just weren't quite as tight. And, you know, the the first three quarters of the film to me, just like really the way it unfolds is really strong to me. And like the way it, it the pace is at it is just, you know, really pulls you along and, and unfolds and, you know, develop all its reveals are done very nicely. And then, yeah, then it kind of sort of hits that acceleration well, to the and end. That, and that's the thing is one of the criticisms I've read online <clears throat> from different reviewers talking about mm. the film is that they feel that the movie is too slow. Yeah. And I didn't feel that way I because either. I was I intrigued. Because yeah, I pulled the whole story was pulling me in. Yeah, it was a mystery. Yeah, the the film starts with a central mystery, mm-hmm. and then we're slowly over the course of the movie figuring things out. Yeah. as the main character does. Yeah, it, to me, it's actually I thought of it like to me, it's basically the uh, the Jason Bourne story. You know, in it's a like lot of it's ways, because yeah. yeah, in this sense that you have a character who totally loses his memory. And begins to discover things that he can do and abilities he has, you know, realizing yeah. that he's something more and just the way people react to him, that he's, some, you know, that, you know, is just he's he's realizing that he's 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 he's, you know, apparently a really important person and has a lot going on. It doesn't, but, you know, coming from having no idea who he is. And so the whole time I'm thinking like, oh, this is the, like the and at the story. same time, he's in dangerous situations with people he doesn't know. Right. Yeah. Who seem to know who he is. And yeah. therefore, he can't really give the game away that he's not sure of who he is because mm-hmm. that would place him in danger. Yeah. It's it's uh it's intriguing. Let's yeah. We're not going to give uh like I said, we're going to try really hard to not spoil most of the reveals in this film. Mm-hmm. But what we'll mm-hmm. do is we'll we'll tell you what the film basically is about. Um, main character is played by Richard Crenna, who's an actor. We'll talk about mm-hmm. in, in, in a moment here. But at the beginning of the film, uh, the film takes place in uh, the 1880s. He is in a uh, western town, if I remember correctly, in Texas. And he's uh, he's getting dressed in this uh, second story second story uh, room, and there's a guy laying for him across the way with a with a gun, obviously there to kill him. Uh, at the very last second, just as the guy, uh, just as the assassin is about to shoot him, the Richard Crenna character, 
there is uh, a noise on the street. Someone kicks literally. It's a dog. It's a dog. And yeah. it's great the way it's set up because this whole opening sequence feels very Sergio Leone to me. And yeah. there's several parts in this movie that I feel yeah. between the director and the cinematographer, there was definitely an, an, an influence of Sergio Leone. But the whole way this in this entire opening sequence, we keep cutting back to this dog that's wandering through the streets. Yep. Just straight out looking, you know, roaming around. And it all brings it the way that you have all these several different things that are happening. Richard Crenna dressing, you know, people skulking, you know, stealthily through the town. And this dog comes all the way up to the point where somebody's about to assassinate him. And the dog tips over a trash can, which is signals him, which keeps him from being totally, you know, he just... He, keeps he, him he from gets getting murdered. Murdered, by, you know. So the way that all kind of came together, you know, I thought was edited in a very Leon kind of way. Well, it, it did feel very... Uh... It felt very clever. This mm-hmm. this is a yeah. this is a well put together section of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to have mi- mi- the complaints I'm going to have about the the way the movie's put together all fall on the kind of crushing down of all the yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the the the, uh, the reveals in the in the last few minutes of the movie. Right. Because there are so many of them on top one on top of the other. Yeah. That it almost makes your head spin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now it's kind of enjoyable in that yeah, way yeah. to me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But you're right. This opening sequence is very much a. Uh, it feels. It really feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a spaghetti western, mm-hmm. and of course the locations, which seem oh, very yeah. familiar to anybody who's watched many many spaghetti oh, westerns, because they were shot in Spain, yeah. like so many of those uh, Italian westerns. And of course, the wind never stops blowing through these towns. <laughs> I mean, which is you know, but you love that. You know, it's like give me more, give me more tumbleweeds, give me more gusting winds through these you know spooky yep. looking towns. Yep. And so yeah, it's got all kinds of that that feel there. So Krenna's character is shot. But it just it, the, the the shot doesn't kill him. It just it creases his head and causes him to fall out of the second story okay. window. Yeah. Can I also say too that yep. I've never seen a, a western where more people fall off of bluffs and buildings and get right back up. You know, <laughs> it's we, mostly Krenna too. Yeah, no, exactly. He does it's it just twice. The, these people are indestructible. You know, but there's there's like you know. Well, at least he's in real. I mean, it's very obvious he's in actual pain. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. After, oh. after this fall, yeah, I mean, he looks he looks like somebody who just got kicked in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you know we've 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 seen so many thousands of stuntmen fall off of you know characters fall off of buildings in in westerns and die you know shoot and that's it for them but. This film kind of brings up the point that, you know, really people can fall from pretty high heights and not well, necessarily that, you know, die. That, that second story window, it's, it's probably, it's, you if, can you land, probably yeah, I mean, yeah. if you landed on your head, yeah, yeah right. But otherwise, die, you, but yeah, it's kind of more realistic that he does survive, you know. And, and he's slipping around and yeah. hurt like a, right. hurt really, right. you know, it really hurt it. He's obviously bruised and contused, yeah. 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 yeah, but I think later in the film, you're right, he falls off an even higher, like, you well, know. He tumbles down like a rock face. I mean, it's not a cliff, so it's not unbelievable, but it's one of those one of those moments where you're just like, Dude, we're booking yeah. in the, bookending this movie with you damn near killing yourself falling. You should need to really think about this. This is not a place you... High places are not for you. That's right. <laughs> easy, friend. Nice and easy. You got a name? Surely got to be somebody tearing them up like that. Jonas. Call me Jonas. Where'd you go? No. Yeah. 
hell. I feel like hell. Now, after he uh, is shot and survived, he gets away from the situation and meets up with a fellow named Rhymes, who uh, is played by Stephen Boyd. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should stop at this point. For the for the rest of the movie, for for most of the rest of the movie, uh, Stephen Boyd's character of Rhymes is is uh, kind of a an abused an abused sidekick to Richard Crenna's yeah. character as they essentially travel together in a, in a way that yeah. accidentally on purpose allows Crenna's character to slowly start to figure out more and more about who he may actually be. Yeah, and 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 uh, and I think that the character of Rhymes is a. A common type that we see in in westerns uh, yeah. is is that kind of secondary character who you're always kind of trying to guess what their agenda is. You're never quite sure what's their ultimate motivation. I mean, you know, most, most you of the see time with the character, yeah. most of the time in this film, with this character, it do, he does seem just kind of amused enough yeah. to have this guy tag along with him mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to keep him close at hand because he's definitely not dangerous to him. Mm-hmm. And so. There's a very long period in this film where he just seems really amused to have this guy who's mm. lost his memory. And for the longest time, he's the only one who realizes that this guy really doesn't seem to know who mm. he is. Yeah. When he, when asked, Richard Crenna's character does give a name, but even he seems kind of puzzled by the fact that this name came so fast to his memory because he doesn't think that... You can see that he doesn't think that that's really him because it's not really ringing a strong bell in his head. Yeah. So... They travel along together. Uh, Stephen Boyd's character of Rhymes is on his way to a particular place, mm-hmm. which turns out to be a kind of uh, outlaw hangout, a place. Uh, it's it's basically a, rancher, a, a, yeah. ra- a ranch that's kind of been taken over by outlaws and is kind of a uh, a safe haven for mm-hmm. them. Kind of mm-hmm. uh, an El Rey, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with uh, Jim Thompson novels. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that uh, fictional thing that even Tarantino used when he wrote uh, From Dust Till Dawn, the yeah, idea right. of this, this place in Mexico mm-hmm. where... Uh, outlaws could go and and mm-hmm. feel and and kind of feel like they're going to be safe from uh, law enforcement. That's kind mm-hmm. of where Rhymes seems to be on the on the mm-hmm. way to, and so Richard Crenna's character tags along with him, or maybe mm-hmm. Crenna's on his way there and Rhymes is tagging yeah. along. At times, it's <laughs> yeah. really it, unsure. It, it, yeah, yeah. Because what it is is Crenna dr- jumps on a train. Uh, getting away from these people who are trying to trying to chase him down after he survives the the the, uh, the uh, assassination attempt, he jumps on a train, ends up in a train car with Rhymes, and they kind of you know strike a, a, a uneasy an uneasy alliance that gets more and more easy as time goes by. Mm-hmm. Let's just say we already know that Krenna's character is not who he seems to be because we don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many layers to that, and the movie does slowly unfurl that in a very interesting way. Uh, and Rhymes is a more interesting character than you might have thought yeah. at first as <clears throat> well. And he has some good lines. In fact, I, I thought that a lot of the dialogue in this film is quite good. It makes me wonder yeah. how much is maybe taken from the novel itself. But just some really good lines that uh, the part where Krenna says that he feels like, he says, I feel like I'm wearing someone else's skin. And Rhymes says, just don't let it get punctured. None, you know, and I thought like, yeah. that's a really cool exchange there you know there's, there's a nice lot of great dialogue. dialogue yeah there really is there really yeah. is uh we should t- we should talk about stephen boyd for a while because he's one mm-hmm. of those actors who mm-hmm. every time i've seen him he's impressed me but i have to admit mm-hmm. i've never really given him much time he yeah. was of course he had a major role in ben-hur mm-hmm. he's in a, a number of films of that type where he yeah. 
gave stand, a standout performance, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he never ascended to like superstardom by any stretch of the imagination. He almost seems to have, in a way, either fallen into or cultivated the idea of being a character actor, someone who mm-hmm. inhabited whatever role he came he came into, and he seems to have chosen some very interesting roles over the year. I was looking I was looking through his uh, his list of credits, and just. Looking at the descriptions of some of the films of that, that of his that I haven't seen before, and I, I came away with a list of five or six movies. I was like, I need to see these movies. Yeah, and and sadly, a, a kind of repeated refrain tonight. Another one who died young, uh, died yeah. as a heart attack at age forty-five. It's a shame because you know he died before you know a lot of modern directors now would probably be giving him you know doing the Tarantino thing of you know resurrecting yeah. his career with some cool modern roles you know and, and stuff. This is very true. Well, he was at Ben Hur. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the Fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. uh, Fantastic Voyage, yeah. Shalako, and then, like I say, he fe- he fell into he moved. I think he essentially kind of seems to have moved to Europe and started making films over there. Mm-hmm. And not that he wasn't British in the first place, right? <laughs> but he seems to have chosen a number of very interesting movies. I have to say, he's got this the scraggly beard in this movie. Yeah, he, lo- yeah. he, he honestly looks like he hasn't bathed in a week. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if I didn't know who he was, I would think it was just... if I, In other words, this guy does not look to me like the guy who was in Ben-Hur. Right. Yeah. All right? Yeah. When you know it mm-hmm. is, it's mm-hmm. even more impressive because it's not like he's, he's physically deteriorated. It's that he's physically transformed. Yeah. This is, you know, 10 years later, and this guy is still really impressive. But just in a very different type of role, I gotta say, uh, like I said, looking through his, looking mm-hmm. through his list of credits, in 1971 he was in a movie called Kill, 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 Kill. <laughs> just in, yeah, in case you didn't get the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know a damn thing about this movie uh-huh. other than what I can see online, but with a title like that, <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah, <laughs> Kill, it's, Kill, Kill, Kill. <laughs> Interpol, Interpol investigates. The freelance killings of drug of drug and mm. porn peddlers. Oh, yeah. That sounds I, right. Yeah. Gene yeah. Seberg, yeah. James Mason. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Look at the cast. Oh, yeah. Stephen Boyd, Gene Seberg, James Mason. Uh, I'm already... Th- Daniel Immelfork. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. That's great. <laughs> I know. It's Victor, Victor Israel. Israel. Victor Israel. Oh, and Lucia, Luciano Pagosi. Oh, my God. The yeah. Italian... The Italian Peter Laurie, yeah. And I look at this and I'm like, well, how have I never heard of this well, movie oh, man. before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, you know, I need to spend some time tracking down some of these movies yeah. that he was the star of when he when he started making movies outside mm-hmm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. The world, and especially the movie world, people, is your oyster. You got to grab a fork and just mm-hmm. pry that mother open and go for yeah. the pearl. I'd like to watch more of his movies to see how much of his own voice he's using in this film because he speaks in kind of a strange yeah, but it's uh, uh, one description I read in the movie mentioned it is like described him as mumbling ways through his role, and that's not what he's doing. It's, it's, it's sort of an doing. odd, but it is a kind of an odd. Almost sounds like a borderline slight speech impediment. You know the way he talks. You know is the only way to put it. You know, but I mean it's it's, it's kind yeah. of a cool voice. Yeah. You know that he's using, but it's a little odd way of. And 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 I don't. I just would like to know what his actual speaking voice, just to see if that was a normal way he spoke, or if it was something he actually came up with for this character. I I I don't know enough about him to know, but mm-hmm. I do say that. I would never have said that he mumbled his way or no, was mumbling no. his dialogue. That's no. that's a ridiculous statement. But what what it is interesting to note is that what what I found interesting about what he did was that he and Krenna both are being incredibly realistic in the delivery of the dialogue in this movie. 
And so even when it's witty and sharp, mm-hmm. it's still, it, it doesn't feel like somebody's reading it off a page. It feels no, it natural. Doesn't. It feels yeah. like yeah. These, these are two guys in this situation, and this is exactly what they would have said to each other. Yeah, agreed. And uh, with dialogue that's off, that often in this, in this film especially mm-hmm. is pretty crisp, Sometimes in a Western setting, I can mm-hmm. find that that starts to feel a little, a little like the things have gotten a little too modern mm-hmm. in the set, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. the setting of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Never felt that way in this. This this felt this felt authentic, which is silly considering we're talking mm-hmm. about a movie. But it felt authentic enough that it never pegged that little thing in my head that makes me go, I don't know if that's how they were. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. It's like it's like yeah. you know watching a Hercules movie and having somebody you know mm-hmm. reference something you know or you, using a simile that doesn't quite work sure. for the period. Yeah. You know, none of that ever rings hollow. Yeah. It, it always no, seems like yeah. it's correctly in period detail. Yeah. So. yeah. When these two characters make it to the to El Rey or yeah. the, this, yeah, this, right. this ranch of outlaws, right. right? We're once again we have Krenna who's playing a character who's really trying to figure out who the hell he is. Right. And once we're at this ranch, we learn that the land itself and the house is owned by a widow woman who really wishes these outlaws weren't there, but she's mm. kind of a prisoner yeah. of these people who've taken over the area. She has one servant who uh, kind of stands by her side, kind of stands by her side, an older gentleman with a beard. And uh, the, by the way, the widow woman is played by Rosanna Schifferino. Mm-hmm. I've seen in a few other films and is without a doubt one of the most gorgeous movies mm-hmm. you're going to see in any given week you watch movies. Yeah, yeah. She is stunningly attractive. <clears throat> she is. She is. Had you ever seen her in anything before? I, looking over from filmography, I, I can't remember right off if, if there was anything that stood out to me. It's like, oh yeah, I know I've seen that before. Um, she was certainly in several films, you know, that I wanted, you know, looking at just it sounded really interesting, but um she was at the Long Ships. Yeah, the film, which I still have never seen. As much as I love that novel, I've still never seen the film version of the Long Ships. She was in a, an Italian movie called The Witch from 1966 that I that mm. I enjoyed a few years ago when I finally saw that. The Rover, Arrivederci Baby, Hector the Mighty, uh, a movie that I saw and really enjoyed, The Killer Reserve Nine Seats, which she made a couple of years after this. Yeah, I've not seen that one either. It's a little giallo. Pretty good little movie. But... Gee, I couldn't have guessed it was a Jello from that title. From that title, would it never? <laughs> you have killer and you have that. a number, and, and all it needed was an animal in there somewhere, and I would have known for sure. Well, she was also. I think she kind of got her start in the first few movies that uh, cast her, and of course, her with her face and her features, she's perfect for this. She was in a few mm. peplum films in yeah. the sixties, which right. of course makes sense. She's one of those classical Italian mm. beauties. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine her as your Ursat Helen of Troy type character placed into any as mm. any scenario. Where you've got uh, Samson or Machiste or whoever running around, or one of the many sons of Hercules, you know, it's like. <laughs> in fact, I'm, I'm guessing that I probably have seen her in a couple of peplums that are under a title that's maybe not listed, you know, under a separate one again. Yeah, one of those yeah. sons of Hercules, playing a, prin- playing a princess or yes, yeah, so, so yeah. I probably have, but yeah, she's great though. But great. she's very, she's very beautiful and mm-hmm. she's quite good in this movie as well. As a yes, matter of fact, I can't complain about any performance in this movie, and I think that uh, that's a pretty interesting thing to be able to say considering yeah. how many people are holding so many cards to their chest throughout this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, unwilling to give up information and afraid at times to give up information for fear of what kind of danger it would mm-hmm. put them in but she's the she's the widow she and uh, Krenna have a, a very interesting conversation with each other as Krenna is trying to do, <laughs> he, he, you're doing this interesting dance in mm-hmm. these scenes where he's trying to feel out whether or not this person may know who he is mm-hmm. but not giving away that he doesn't know who he is no. and so 
that mystery element, that amnesia storyline, adds an, a, an amazing amount of interest to uh, what's going on. And it's this, it's like a bass line yeah. <laughs> in a song. It's yeah. there, it's yeah. steady, it's always in the background and never lets the story <laughs> lag and keeps things interesting all the time. Mm-hmm. That may be the weirdest. <laughs> no, but I like it. Hey, as a musician, I'll dig it, though. I, I, anytime anybody gives a shout-out to the uh, the indispensable importance of bass players. Uh, there in, uh, in, <laughs> as, uh, I hadn't thought about that. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, you yeah, think, so thank you, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, well, at any rate, uh, Mr. <laughs> indispensable. Uh, <laughs> the mystery element of this keeps everything moving along all the time because... We start to learn about different people. And this is one of the things that I think p- people who don't enjoy this movie, this is when they start to have problems with it because we're learning about a lot of different characters who aren't on stage at the time. Yeah, We're learning about them through other people telling stories about them or, mm-hmm. or delivering dialogue about what they mm-hmm. want or what they might want or what mm-hmm. they may or may not have done. And I think for some people who maybe aren't necessarily willing to pay enough attention to a movie when it's mm. playing on their home television screen. Mm-hmm. I think that they may almost need a, a scorecard to figure out, wait a minute, mm. okay, they, they said mm-hmm. that person is this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because the reason for doing this is that we have our central character still trying to figure out who the hell he is. Yeah. So when they start talking about these various offstage characters, he might, you know, and in their relation to the fellow who almost yeah. killed him, who shot who who shot him. Right. He's trying to figure out one, why does this guy want me dead? Mm-hmm. Who might have hired him because he he, he he's mm-hmm. he's an outlaw, so he was probably hired to do this. Why why am why am I wanted dead? So I don't just have the murderer and his henchman who I need to watch out for. I have the possibility that he was hired by another person mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. So as he gathers information, as we're 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 given little breadcrumbs as we go along, we're learning more about all these off off stage characters. And then as the story progresses, and we're meeting those off stage characters, we have just enough information to go. Oh, oh okay, I know this bit about them. Mm-hmm. But then once they're on stage, they start doing things. And as with any movie, it's you mm-hmm. know you you get characterization through action. And this mm-hmm. is where the movie gets more and more interesting as it goes yeah. along. I'll tell you what, it really hooked me completely. I mean, I was into the movie from the first. It wasn't really an action sequence. It was the sequence shortly after he gets to the ranch where he and Rhymes ride out on their horses out on his land, and out on that land of the ranch, and the horse obviously knows where it's going. Yeah. It actually ditches him for a little bit and starts going off its own, and they have to kind of chase after the horse because it definitely knows that it's going somewhere it's been before. And the way that it... Goes to one location that un- leads to another location, and I don't, you know, want to say too much because I like all the the ways it reveals. But the way it just kind of goes deeper and deeper into this guy's life through where this horse leads him to and where these locations lead him to. Some right. of them secret locations, you know. It's just that was the part that I was just I was loving the most. Is just like I'm so into seeing where this is going and finding out these things as they are. You know, it totally pulled me in. There comes a point where we're introduced to a house that yeah. is obviously long abandoned. Yeah. But that Richard Crenna's character seems mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be familiar with. Yeah, yeah. But they're unsure of who may or may not have lived here, whose house this may mm-hmm. or may not have been, mm-hmm. except for one odd piece of information they have, which is a specific name. Yeah. But then again, there's another name that keeps cropping yeah. up as well. Yeah. It, it, it plays. It plays very. It plays very well, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least to mm-hmm. me. Like I yeah. say, if you're going to watch this movie, and we do encourage it, mm-hmm. boy, do I. 
I encourage you to see this film. You got to pay attention because. Yeah. And don't even be ashamed if you like it enough to watch it a second time to to kind of you know the second time it might unfold. You know, you might not you might still catch things on the second yeah. time through. Which is not easy for a film that was made at a, you know, that's daring. I always respect a film that's made at the time it was made when repeat viewings weren't just an, an, an a given yeah. that it throws something this complex and and expects the audience to follow along. Yeah. But And we've talked about this before. Yeah. I think there is a there is a huge difference between 1973 where, where you were going to see a movie primarily, mm-hmm. that the ex- expectation was you're going to see it in a movie theater yeah. where... Yeah. That's the only thing that can draw your attention. You're yeah. in a movie theater with this massive screen, and yeah. you know it's all. That's you're whole, totally dialed into that experience of watching it, yeah. or at least you're expected to be. Yeah. Whereas now, most movies are being seen for the first time on a home screen, mm-hmm. and there are so many distractions mm-hmm. that it's very easy to have little pieces of information just get skipped yeah. because yeah. your sure. eyes darted away. Mm-hmm. Or you were distracted by the cat, or mm, somebody burped, or, or something, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your phone, your phone beeped at you, or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. But this is one of those movies that uh, the more attention you can pay to it, the more satisfying yeah. it is it as is. a yeah. narrative. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Richard Crenna for a second. Yeah. Most people these days know Richard Crenna because of a, uh, of the Rambo films. Mm-hmm. He was in, yeah. I think, the first three Rambo movies mm-hmm. as uh, Colonel Troutman, who mm-hmm. was uh, John Rambo's commanding mm-hmm. officer. Yep. But Richard Crenna, before he was in that movie, uh, I knew him as, uh, as a, a guy who... <laughs> he was one of the kings of TV movies. Yeah, yeah. I stopped counting. I started doing a listing of the number of TV movies he was in over the decades of his career, mm. and I stopped at 20 and just, <laughs> I just decided to say he was in several dozen TV movies. He was also in a bunch of television series, mm. doing you know episodes of television series across the time, and in a number of feature mm. films as well, mm. you know, obviously <laughs> First Blood and, and, and the, 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 the next two Rambo films as well. But I don't know how you become so adept at things that you're the go-to guy yeah. <laughs> for like 30 yeah. years to be yeah. in TV movies. But Richard Crenna was that. Mm-hmm. Now, some people might hear that he was, you know, the, the, that the vast majority of his credit listings were in television or specifically in television movies and think mm-hmm. that maybe he was an actor of a certain type. And I got to tell you, Richard Crenna was extremely good. Yeah, he was. This movie points it out very yeah. effectively. Yeah. yeah. Now I have to say this, um, as a side note, mm-hmm. I did not realize how far back Richard Crenna's career stretched until a few years ago. I am a fan of uh, old-time radio. Mm-hmm. Now, I got into it because of of the obvious stuff, the horror stuff, because, of yeah. course, that's me. And, I, you know, sure. sus- suspense and mm-hmm. escape and CBS Mystery Theater and all, all, the, all mm-hmm. the different, you know, uh, Lights, lights Out. Lights Out, I was going to say. Course. Yeah, course, yeah. Love those things. But the more you listen to those shows the more you also start trying to branch out into other types of shows as well. And uh, one of those that I now, I have to admit, not all the old-time radio comedy shows are to my taste. I find uh, a lot of them to be mm-hmm. a little too facile, a little too over-obvious. And some of that is just because, you know, this is the first time some of this stuff was being done. And yeah. I've watched, you know, umpteen yeah. variations over the course of my life. And they're just not as impressive now mm-hmm. to me when I go back to one of the very earliest versions of it. But... I have to tell you now that one of the comedy radio shows that I think stands up incredibly well decades later is called Our Mrs. Brooks with Eve Arden mm. as that main character of Mrs. Brooks. She mm-hmm. is a, uh, a small town 
uh, school teacher, mm-hmm. and the show is extraordinarily funny. I had been listening to that show for a few years, mm-hmm. lots and lots of episodes of it, and I've been impressed by the fact that it started out as a radio show, it then moved to television, mm-hmm. and then they actually ended the whole run of the thing by doing a feature film. Uh, all of these named Our mm-hmm. Mrs. Brooks. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got around <laughs> to seeing the uh, feature film, it's still the original cast from the radio se- mm-hmm. from the radio show and from the television series doing this one last uh, story and putting it in, putting a cap to the whole mm-hmm. Our Mrs. Brooks thing, which is really great. Cool. So if you find yourself enjoying yeah, Our that. Mrs. Brooks, understand that you can go watch that movie and you get a, a really great ending to that story. And it's still funny as hell, too. Mm-hmm. But as I, wa- as I listen to more and more of that show... And caught a few episodes here and there because you can you can turn them up on YouTube pretty easily. Yeah. I was shocked to learn that this nerdy little high-voiced high school student <laughs> who sounds, well, kind of like this. Gosh, Miss Brooks, you haven't said a word since you got in the car. It isn't my driving that's bothering you, is it? No, Walter. I'm worried about something else today. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't worry about that, Miss Brooks. What can you expect when last night was the first date you had with him? What? Walter, how did you know I had a date last night? Well, Harriet and I saw you in the balcony of the Bijou. We were sitting toward the rear and you were forward. No more than I am with Mr. Boynton. (laughs) You mean we were sitting toward the front. Well, I'm not thinking about myself, Walter. This concerns someone else. Well, you're certainly not worried about Mrs. Davis's romance, are you? Then you know about that, too. How did you find out about that? I was also up in the balcony with Harriet the night before. <laughs> you went to the same movie with Harriet two nights in a row? Yeah, and tonight I'm going back alone and see the picture. Is <laughs> played by Richard Crenna. <laughs> that... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he played that character the whole run, all the way through the film. Wow. And if you come into our Mrs. Brooks and are trying to connect Colonel Troutman (laughs) to that reedy-voiced Looney Tune, you know, this comic book of a a high school student character, Uh your brain will melt. It's just, it's, it's like a, it's a whiplash effect. But that's him. That's Richard Crenna. That was one of his earliest roles. He did a lot of radio stuff. So Crenna worked from radio to television to feature films. And even though the vast majority yeah. of his list of credits are TV movies, the guy seemed to be able to do it all. Yeah. I mean, he got yeah. uh, he yeah. got Emmy nominations, mm-hmm. and he, he was uh, he won an Emmy, actually, for uh, a pretty impressive and slightly controversial movie he made in the 80s, The Rape of Richard Beck. Mm-hmm. I remember when that film actually came out. 1985. In the TV, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was replayed a number of times. And Crenna, yeah. Crenna was nominated for the Golden Globe and uh, won the Emmy for mm-hmm. his performance in that film. Mm-hmm. So this guy was recognized during his career as a very talented actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, never, I've never seen him let a, let a script down. I've yeah. always, always been impressed by Crenna. Yeah. And uh, his range is... His range is pretty impressive. He's just one of those guys who, mm. really, unless you're keyed into TV movies, you're probably you're probably going to miss him. He's going to be under your radar. You're not going to be aware of this guy's capabilities. And so if you come to this movie and you've not seen him in much of anything, he carries this movie on his shoulders. He's got a really good second mm. with Stephen Boyd. Yeah, he does. And their, their performance together mm. through the, uh, <clears throat> shall we say, twists and turns 
of the Rhymes character through the storyline uh, are very, very entertaining as well. They're, they're, they're having a good time playing off of each other in this. But the reason we ended up watching this film <laughs> yes, listen, 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 is not because yeah. Rod wanted to talk about Richard Crenna, although no. I'll be glad to. Mm-hmm. It's because we spotted a photograph yes. of our Nashy friend and yours, mm-hmm. Patty Shepard, mm-hmm. in this movie in a black gunfighter's outfit with a six gun in her hand. Enough said. Yeah. <laughs> 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 now, we should emphasize that this is a very well photographed movie. Yeah. It's a beautiful movie, and Rosanna Schifarino looks gorgeous, but then everybody, everything looks good in this yeah. movie. And the print, uh, which I found on YouTube, is out there on YouTube, is, uh, is actually really nice, really good print of the film. I, I do wonder if it's uh, scammed off, because you know, it's on Blu-ray, though. This film has been released on Blu-ray, and I do wonder... Oh, has it been? Yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that. I didn't know if you could. Is it uh, a release here or I mean? Was oh yeah, it, was, yeah. Really, it's, okay. a, it's a it's a kino it's a kino release. Oh, okay. Okay. I do believe okay. so. Uh, sadly, I don't believe there are any extras on it, so no. you're not going to get any, not get anything more than what we. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to get any, any any actual insights from yeah. uh, anybody about the making of this film. Sad to say, but Patty Shepard is in this film. When she's introduced, she is the the uh, the mourning of mm-hmm. uh, a, 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 a she's mourning the death of a yeah. family member. Uh, another character we were introduced to off, you know, while they were off screen, yeah. and then we're introduced to her while she is in mourning, and um, she does an amazing job in her first scene with Krenna, making you think that she might just be a little owlhead, a little yeah, a little nuts, yeah, <laughs> a little crazy, and then uh, there's a turn. And then you become aware that she really kind of is a little crazy, but just in a different way than what <laughs> yeah. you thought. I will say one one of the quibbles I have with the film is uh, whoever they got to dub her voice. I don't think it's her voice that she's speaking know. in. Yeah. It might be. If it is, I'm sorry, Patty, but the voice I found really inappropriate. Uh, I, I just felt that it, it, it didn't fit the character very well. Otherwise, I love what she does in the film, you know. But, uh, but, that, but yeah, I just found the voice uh, to not be... Uh, I found it to be distracting, you know. At the, oh, okay. The so, okay. yeah. Like I said, maybe it is her voice, but I have a feeling she was dubbed. And uh, and it just, I found it a little, you know, just a little annoying. It just didn't quite suit the, didn't seem to suit the character to me. It was a little too too girly, you know, a little too, oh, okay. almost sounded like a cheerleader speaking through, you know. <laughs> like, you know, a little too helium, too much helium in there, you know, for me. But uh, Interesting. She, otherwise, she does great. And God, she looks great. You know, now, what I have to say, we were lucky that this film did turn out to be so interesting and good because you you have to wait a whole hour before you see Miss Miss Patty but uh, uh, but but yeah but luckily the rest of the film's interesting enough that honestly I stopped you know after the first, you know first five ten minutes I'm like where's Patty where's Patty you know and then I sort of kind of got out of that mode because I got so into the story yeah I mean it's a it's yeah. a great story yeah so. yeah well for those of you who are unaware Patty Shepard uh, was in Assignment Terror. With, uh, with Paul Nashi as yeah. Ilsa, and she was in uh, she was the vampire woman in the Werewolf versus the Vampire mm-hmm. Woman. Yeah, well, uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, aka Werewolf Shadow. And so, uh, we have a valid reason. Mm-hmm. Yes, to, yes. <laughs> to call this film, you know, a Beyond mm-hmm. Nashi episode because she was in two Na- two very important Nashi films. Yes, and uh, mm-hmm. she was the, she was the main villain in in the second one. So there. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't you can't well you could but you shouldn't call yeah. us out on this. There's no good reason, but she was also in The Killer is one of the 13 where Nash had a very small role. Yeah, so really, right. they did more yeah. than just those two films together. But True. Uh, she was also in Witch's Mountain, which yeah. if there's yeah. ever a good print of the Witch's Mountain out there anywhere ever, 
I'm going to shout hallelujah and buy two copies, I swear to God, because that is a really, really interesting movie that is suffering from having really crappy... Co- not it, it, The best-looking copy of it is still better than like the best-looking cop. I mean, it's still worse than the best-looking copy of Murder Mansion. So. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there are scenes in... I've seen two different prints of <coughs> Witch's Mountain, and in, in, in each case... It, there have been scenes where it's just too dark to know what in the hell is happening. And it's depressing in that yeah. way because everything everything you can see in the movie mm-hmm. is really interesting. But so she's in that she's in that as well. Well and don't be fooled by the opening credits of a man called Noon that says introducing Patty Shepherd. Uh, that is where I wanted to go next. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> because this movie does have the temerity yeah. to actually say in the credits and introducing mm-hmm. Patty Shepherd. Um, it was her 30th film, I think. I think I counted up, and I believe it was her 30th movie. So, <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I, I, I lost count at a certain point, but let's just say she had already been in two iconic Paul Nashy films yeah, at this right. point, one of which she was the mm. main villainous in. Yeah. And it, it just makes no sense. Yeah, right. And she, and, and, and in Assignment Terror, she's this bubbly beauty who really adds some vivacious mm. trappings to Assignment Terror. I don't know. It's just... It's really yeah. odd that they chose to. I, I almost wonder if there was a sense on maybe Miss Shepard's part or her her agent or her representation that they may have put it into the contract that that is how she's uh, placed in the credits as a way to introduce her to a wider audience. Well, maybe? it's funny you say that because I do think that she might have not really wanted to go too far down the horror star icon trail there. You know, I, I seem to. Recall, I don't have it in front of me, but it, I almost feel like it was Paul Nashy who said it, and it might not have been. It might have been, it might have been someone else, and, and that uh, pointed out that said that kind of to the base of the fact that if she wanted to be, she could have been the Spanish. Not that she's Spanish, but her films were made mostly in Spain. That she could have been the Spanish Barbara Steele. You know that she yeah. had that potential to become that. You know, and maybe personally as a personal choice, you know, maybe she. Decided not, decided not to keep making horror films. I have to admit, when I see her, and especially seeing her in this film, I kept thinking, I just wish once she and Barbara Steele had played sisters in some gothic horror film. You know, it just would have been incredible. <laughs> it would have been completely believable. They would have. But uh, So maybe maybe that's the case. Because what you say, introducing, maybe they were just trying to give her a fresh start. Maybe she wanted just a completely like fresh start without the back history without behind history. her, possibly, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean the thing is, at that point, she'd been making movies for more than ten years, yeah. and so it's yeah. yeah, it's it's a little strange. And the thing is, uh, clearly, I don't, I, 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 would love to know more about her. Yeah, and it's a weakness in my, uh, my overall research that I've not been able to dig up more information about her career. I'd love to, I'd love to read some rev- some interviews with her if I can find them. But the fact that she ended her career in a few. You know, low budget horror films. She, Granted, yeah. mm-hmm. a couple of my enjoy. Yeah, you know, like uh, I mean, I just recently saw that her. La- I mean, she was in Slugs. Slugs. I mean, come on, yeah. And uh, was it Rest in Pieces? Yeah, yeah. for for Jose Larraz, and mm. then Edge of the Axe for Jose Larraz. And I just recently rewatched uh, Edge of the Axe because it can, it just, it's recently being uh, put out on uh, Blu-ray, mm. and she's still this this lovely older woman in that mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, it being the kind of movie it is, meets a horrible end. Yeah. Alongside Jack Taylor, by the oh, way. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, allow me to uh, recommend, uh, with lowered expectations, mm-hmm. recommend Edge of the Axe because it's a pretty darn interesting movie. Uh, besides having Patty Shepard mm-hmm. and, and Jack Taylor in small roles, uh, mm-hmm. but the uh, the fact that those are her last her last three films, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of kind of points to 
yeah, if she just leaned into that early in her earlier in her career, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, maybe she wouldn't have got the chance to do some other things. But I don't know. I wonder what I really yeah. do wonder what her opinion of her own career was. I would like to know too. Uh, given, think, you know, given mm-hmm. given that she stopped making movies in the late eighties, I would be very curious. Yeah. Um, I talk about a couple other. Uh, I'd like to talk about a couple of quick uh, Nashy links in this oh, film just to, are, just yeah. to prove people that it wasn't just Patty Shepard that justified. Nope. We would still let's face it, we would have still done it anyway just because of Pat. <laughs> but we could justify it a little more by calling this Beyond Nashy that it's got uh, Ricardo Palacios, I guess his name is, um, as he's got one scene in the film, but it's a really neat scene, and it's another one that just really feels like Sergio Leone to me is a, is a point where Rhymes and, uh, you know, where Stephen Boyd and, and, um, and Richard Crenna go to a train station. Oh, yeah. Because he finds out he's supposed to go, you know, he's just kind of following where these breadcrumbs, you know, are leading him to where he, what his character was apparently planning to do. And the whole way that train station is filmed and the arrival of the train, I mean, it's so much the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West, you know, it has totally that feel. Yeah. But, uh, Ricardo Palacios uh, pretty much just plays a uh, the guy who's arrives with the train, or he he knows he knows who Richard Crenna is because Richard Crenna a character has apparently done this many times where he's come taking this train to some destination. Yeah, to, and so to, he's, to this to this uh, yeah. this dead little uh, train station that nobody uses. Mm-hmm. It's out in the middle. That's out in the middle of nowhere. But the reason this train stops here occasionally mm-hmm. is because he's there. Yeah. Well, you know, wanted to be picked up along with his horse. So this guy that meets him is an actor that uh, we've seen many, many times in lots of Nashy credits. Uh, and his most, I guess, think the one probably he's most well known for, the people most memorable is he's in the People Who Own the Dark. His character essentially ends up <laughs> more animal than man. Basically, just ends up yeah. as a sort of a crawling, pig-like crawling character around crawling around. Like a yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's great, great to see him as always. And then. Uh, uh, Julian Ugarta, who you're your favorite dancing vampire from uh, from Mark of the Wolfman, uh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, looks yeah. bad as hell in this film, man. I wish his character had had more in, because he, he, he looks really damn cool. You he know? doesn't have enough to do in this. Yeah. Now he does one of the he unfortunately does one of the things in the film that I mentioned earlier where it starts to go a little bit silly at times. Is he he I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to set up the the scene. I don't want to again. I want to make sure I don't give anything away. But he he does. Pick up a he's he's throw he's a great at throwing knives he's a knife thrower yeah. but he he grabs a knife without being able to actually swing his hand he throws a knife underhanded literally all the way across the barn and it embeds into the wood I mean it's 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 essentially it's a, it's a hell of a it's, it's a hell of a, a wrist flick it's yeah. a, it's essentially a physically impossible thing to do <laughs> but the movie sells it it does but and he just and again he just looks so good I'm just like man uh, he he just had too few scenes I'd love to see Hewlin look did more westerns looking like this because he really looks looks cool yeah um so yeah so there's a couple more Nashy uh, connections there for well us there's there, also uh, I, I think I would almost say Angel but it's uh, probably pronounced. Uh, Angel de Pazzo. Angel de Pazzo. Oh, right. I forgot. Pazzo, yeah, right. Yeah. Who, uh... was in, yeah. Well, he right. was in Demon Witch Child, yeah. which is a, uh, an Amano D'Asorio film. He was in Horror Express. Mm-hmm. He, had a, he had a small role in that. He had a small role in the Richard Lester Three and Four Musketeers, which I know they aren't Spanish, but you know, they're hey, just hey, rolling. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was Dr. Carrion in Assignment Terror. Yeah, yeah. But he was also in a lot of different movies. He was in Face to Face. He was in some great spaghetti westerns like Face to Face, The Big Gun Down. Mm-hmm. And he's just one of those guys who you see. He's he's one of those that guys. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, sure. Like, oh, I know this face. Oh, I know yeah, this face. Yeah. I, where, where do I know this guy? Where do I know this guy? Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets he he's got an actual uh, 
pretty darn good role. He's been Janice, who's the assassin who at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is trying to kill Richard Crenna. Yeah. Uh, so he's a, a a character that is off screen a lot of the time, but when he when he pops back up, he there you know there's a there's a deadly reason for him to be where he is, and there's a, he, he's he's often talked about when he's off stage, which of course just makes the character that much more ominous. Mm-hmm. So. Another good role for a yeah. character actor. And something else that led me to a film that we might want to cover, if nothing else, is definitely one that we should track down and see. Uh, I, if you, I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the actors in this film is Farley Granger, who, yep. who certainly had a, a good career. And um, I was looking at his credits, and uh, there's a film called Death Will Have Your Eyes that has uh, also has Marissa Mel and Helga Linnae. Uh, recently, well, a few years ago, released on DVD, and I think it may already have been out of print, Mm-hmm. Uh, Death Alive Your Eyes I think uh, I saw uh, <clears throat> a uh, gray market <laughs> copy a while back and uh, really liked it I of course saw it because uh, Marissa Mel's in it Yeah. And uh, but yeah if, if memory serves it's a pretty darn good little thriller I want to so. see that one but Farley Granger would be most recognizable to classic film fans as uh, uh, the, uh, the the hapless character in uh, Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Yeah, yeah. Which is a, a great film if yeah, you've never is. seen it. Ranger's really great in it. He was in Rope as well for Hitchcock. Oh, right, yeah. God, I love... I, mm-hmm. I so love that movie. Such a... I, I, I know yeah, that it's classic, easy it's yeah. easy to get distracted by the the, the technical thing yeah, that, but, that Hitchcock is doing with yeah. the 10-minute the takes, but mm-hmm. it's it's just a really tightly written film as well. It was a stage play, so I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's got that background that's kind mm-hmm. of, you know always shoring it up at every at every turn in the first place it's just a tightly scripted little thing and so Farley Granger uh, I by the time he shows up in the movie I'd forgotten he was in the movie oh yeah yeah right sure yeah, <laughs> yeah you know and I definitely because uh, he yeah because he kind of shows up about the time Patty does pretty yeah, far into the movie yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty far in there and then there's I gotta give a lot of compliments to the director on this because uh he finds a lot of very interesting ways to shoot things. And the scene that introduces Farley Granger's character to the Richard Crenna character with that chess set, with that chess yeah, board, yeah. Uh, the way he's framing shots, there's a lot of really great framing there are, uh, in yeah. this film. There's a lot of great directorial choices and framing choices throughout this picture. But the, I really like that scene with the chess board as the two of them are, are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And both of them, are attempting to figure out what the other is up to mm-hmm. without giving away pieces of information that might be that they might you're you're never sure if one person might know something and therefore assume the other person is aware of it as well right and therefore speaks around it because there's no point in saying it directly it's 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 mm-hmm. nicely done i like yeah. it quite a bit and having that chessboard there could uh Adds a nice visual uh, touch to the dialogue that's being that's that's being uh, played over it. That's really nice. Yeah. Whenever the law looks like closing in, I just take off and hide out a while. You figure on taking me with you? It's up to you. How do you know I'm not a lawman? Law man. What you are is a lost man. Try to get herself located. Why are you helping me? Got a helpful nature, I guess. What you figure on doing? Find the pieces. Try to fit them together.
bronc fighter I knew once. Lit on his head. Seven, eight months before he knew who he was. Even where he was. And there'd been some could remember perfect. We didn't want folks to realize it. Yeah, well, that's not true of me. You dress like a city man. You feel like a city man? I feel like I'm wearing someone else's skin. Well, you don't get a puncture, none. As I said at the beginning of this conversation, uh, what I can see along uh, on, online and in different reference books, there's a split on this movie. There are people who uh, think it works very effectively, kind of had the reaction that I had, mm-hmm. and there are people who who really have some problems with it, who consider it too slow or uh, too confusing. I definitely I, re- I definitely read too confusing on a number of different spots about this mm-hmm. picture's plot. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I think that's just down to it being something you have to pay attention to. So, yeah. my uh, we're down to the, the the overall question is like, what what do you at the at the end of the day think of this movie? I know you enjoyed it. You said that earlier, but yeah. where, where 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 do you where do you place it? What did you think of it overall? Actually, um, I I did really enjoy it. I it it pulled me in along the way all through it. I was I was totally engrossed in it. I thought the pacing was good. They loved the way it un- unfolded the story. I. Uh, I'd pretty much give it a solid seven, you know, because okay. it's definitely a film that I would watch again. Again, yeah, as I said, you know, and a lot of the things that are kind of clunkier that I thought were maybe some some flaws are pretty much happened in this section that we're not really going to talk about, you know, right. because it gives away too much to discuss them. There and none of them were major, none of them were deal breakers to me, you know. But I, it's just I felt that the whole unfolding and building up, you know, to the kind of climax was was maybe a little better handled than towards the last is when kind of some and some. You get some characters doing some physically pretty implausible stuff and some odd, you know, character actions to do. But again, I think a lot of it has to do with what you had talked about. What we talked about is just because of just trying to rush too much to get yeah. the last bit of information in there. That maybe if they had breathed a little more, spread out a little more, it might not have felt awkward at times. But I'm, I'm, if I'm, I don't mean to make as big a thing of it as I do because I still even thoroughly enjoyed the way the film finishes up, too. is a lot of fun. I mean, and overall, oh, yeah. overall, the whole feeling was very satisfying to me. I think you may have kind of teased out earlier in the uh, when we we're in our discussion about maybe the the question of is it a spaghetti western or not, and my yeah. feeling is that it's really almost kind of a blend of of feeling parts of it feel really spaghetti western, and then I think parts of it are very American, very like American western kind of. Yeah, I, I agree because there is um, there is some of that grit mm-hmm. that you expect from a spaghetti western. Mm-hmm. Some of the not the nastiness, not right, not the exactly, sadism, exactly. But there is some of the. Uh, this is not Cutthroat's Nine, in other words. No, definitely not. No. But this this is a. Uh, a you're right. A kind of a blending of an American style western, mm-hmm. for the most part, mm-hmm. but with let's let's call it thirty to thirty five percent spaghetti touch. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. that see that seems to be the the percentage mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Yeah. Where there's just enough of mm. the Italian influence within mm. this mm. to have it uh, almost like spice in the chili in yeah. a way. It's, yeah. it's, you're going to get the occasional bite that's mm. a little mm. hotter than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a neat surprise. There's some uh, hidden pe- some hidden aspects that we're not going to mm. talk about yeah. that uh, add some really interesting color and flavor, I, I, I guess it would be a good way to put it, 
to the story overall. But well, yeah, I think you're right about it being a blend. Yeah. And what you, you know, I didn't know until doing the show right here, obviously, until you told me, I didn't realize that it was actually out on Blu-ray. I did not realize that. So uh, my feeling is that I would, I, I would like to get that Blu-ray and would like to watch it again at some point. I mean, realizing Certainly. that again, it's not any extras or anything on it, but it's a film that I would actually like to own in the best possible, possible version. So uh, I would definitely, I would definitely get it. So yeah, that's, I think it was a seven for me. Uh, yeah, I, I went back and forth between a seven and an eight myself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I felt so satisfied with mm-hmm. what this movie gets away with with its plotting, mm-hmm. uh, with its reveals in mm-hmm. the last half hour of the picture mm-hmm. that I was just really happy with it. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, of course, that's because there, there, were t- there were times watching it where I'm watching it with Beth and we're both like, we're looking at each other going, so wait a minute, is he this guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then and then you go back and forth mm-hmm. and going. Oh, he can't be the guy. Yeah. Oh wait a minute, maybe, maybe he's the guy. He is, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, there's no way he's the guy. Yeah. You know, and and, it, and it's this wonderful back and forth mm-hmm. with all the other things about the other characters and the, and the questions about their motivations, mm-hmm. what they're really after, the things that are going on, and the questions of what's he going to do if he fully becomes this person right. that he is. What's he? What's he really capable because of? He, what's he going to do? Clearly, is he going to turn out being? Is he going to be the person you've admired right. all along, or is he going to turn out being a villain or doing something horrible? Is he, you know? Yeah. Is this is this guy going to at a certain juncture become someone that you really can't like anymore? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the movie does a very good job of this, I think. Uh, yeah. I, so I went back between a seven and an eight. I'm still not really sure exactly where I fall, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I do want to watch this again because, mm-hmm. like a lot, like a lot of films that are this densely, uh, densely packed with um, reveals and twists, mm-hmm. this th- I feel that this will only be more satisfying. I also think I'm going to uh, to read the novel. Especially especially since you just gave it to me. Yes, I did. That was my early birthday present to Rod. I found the actual (laughs) source novel there uh, from Louis L'Amour. So yeah, it'd be interesting to hear once you read it what you think of it and how if if you know it'd be interesting to see like how much the movie and the book are alike or different. Well, I I have this the feeling, and this is uh, this is related to why I brought up Breakheart Pass earlier, being Mm -hmm. based on an Alistair McLean novel. Yeah, I do have a feeling that they probably tried really hard to get the whole plot of the book into the film. Right, yeah, and that that you know that's why it feels like it needs to be a little bit longer. Yeah, that's very, very uh, but I'll be I'll be curious to find I'll be curious yeah. to find out. Yeah. so yeah, cool. Uh, by the way, Richard Crenna was also in Breakheart Pass. Oh, oh, wow, okay, yeah, cool. he, he wore a mustache in that, <laughs> and was and was not a good person. Ah, well, well. <laughs> uh, that I guess that's a minor spoiler for Breakheart Pass. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> whoops, uh, whoops, whoops, a daisy on that. So yeah, anyway, Breakheart Pass is good too. <laughs> But all right, folks, uh, that's the, the Man Called Noon from 1973. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break and then come back and let you know what we're going to be doing here on this podcast and over on uh, the Bloody Pit here soon. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize, I'm the host and creator. And I'll be helping you today. Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now, we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you 
and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. show uh we don't have any new email i think we blew the email yeah, out when the we doors. did our whole show yeah did a whole half a show on email last time and that's pretty much yeah so uh you can uh, write to us if you wish to and we'll be glad to hear from you and uh, we'll uh read out your email on the next nashy cast episode uh the email address is is nashycast at gmail.com or you can tag us over on the show's facebook page if you would like um Next time here, we're going to do something different. Way. Let's let's put it in this order. Next month, Troy and I are going to do an episode of We're on the Bloody Pit. We're going back to our 40s Universal Horror Films thread over there. And uh, that will bring us up to... Uh, 42? Are we into 42 now? We're in 42, so we're up to the Mad Doctor of Market Street. Yes, yes. Uh, with a, a little joyous uh, evil Lionel Atwell for your viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Always. Always. Always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, he turned up in uh, he turned up as a, a bad guy, sort of, well, mostly a bad guy, in a, uh, an Abbott Costello movie I watched for the first time just last week. Uh, Pardon My Sarong. Oh, which I have seen, but God, it's been years. I did, totally forgot that he was in that one. Pretty darn entertaining yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was also it was uh, it was directed by Earl C. Kemp. Yeah. Who yeah. of course did a few of the uh, classic Universal yes, horror films at the time. I did uh, because I saw his name in the credits as director. I did pay attention to his shot choices, and there's some really good ones. Mm-hmm. But then again, you're you're, you're mm-hmm. shooting at a Costello film. I don't yeah. know mm-hmm. how much uh, artistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> freedom you were given to set your shots especially considering that apparently by all accounts Lou Costello just sort of wandered anywhere and did whatever he pleased and so you just sort of had to train a camera and just follow follow his lead try to to figure out where he's going to be and just go yeah (laughs) so next month over on the bloody pit Mad Doctor of Market Street which I've never seen I'm going to be curious to see your reaction to this because I enjoy it but I do think it's misnamed so (laughs) well yeah. We'll go from there. It'd be hard for any film to live up to that title. So. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just, we're never in that Anyway, <laughs> and then the month after that, so that would be uh, June, yeah. we'll be back here for another Beyond Nashy episode. We are going to take one of our suggestions, one of the suggestions we got from a, from a, from a listener and dive straight into the Blancheville Monster. Yeah, yeah. Which... It's a movie we probably should. To be honest, we thought we might have already covered it. I know exactly. It's, it's, is that a sign of our age? Or just how many, probably, how many, yeah. how many episodes we've done of this show? But we have not covered this film. It's from 1963. 
A script co-written by Bruno Corbucci, speaking of people who knew how to make westerns. Oh, yeah. Stars Helga Linné, which means we probably should have already we seen it. We should have already it. seen and it. And Gerard Tichy, yeah. who we know from Nashi's uh, Inquisition. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to this. Uh, I have looked it over, and I have to admit, I think I've seen this movie, mm-hmm. but I'm not... I'm not sure, so yeah. it's going to have to be after I have a sit down sure. and, and, and lingering look at it yeah. to kind of dope that out. So I don't believe I have. I'm fairly certain I've really, not. Yeah. really, yeah. yeah. I, this may be. Wouldn't it be weird if this was a first time watch for a 1963? Uh, yeah, <laughs> 1963 horror film. I know, that, I know. Yeah, how would? I mean, not not that those things don't exist. It's just yeah, it's just with good Elder to know. A, yeah, I know, I know. It? But it's good to know we haven't seen it all yet. Yeah, it actually it <laughs> it, it, it brightens my day to to, yeah. dis, to discover that. So. That's what we'll be doing in June. Uh, the good news is that uh, it seems to be readily available on YouTube and even on Amazon Prime, so not hard to see the Blancheville monster. And so if you wish to join in on this one, uh, I have the feeling we might end up spoilerizing a little bit more of that than we did of mm-hmm. the film we covered tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once again, thank you for listening, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. My name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we'll talk to you soon. And please, everybody, stay safe and healthy. I was born out in a bowl. I was born inside a void. I was looking out for something, man, that couldn't be destroyed. Running through the city with somebody else's sins. Well, all I ever wanted was just somewhere to begin. Well, they stab you in the back and they want to see you crack. And they say you go to heaven in a brand new Cadillac. They want to see you hurt and they treat you just like dirt. And you soon find out that life is just a four-letter word. A poor boy on the line I was 16 years old In an A state of mind I was hanging out in Playland With some kids from Ozone Park Playing computer games And learned to kill like a shark But they stab you in the back And they wanna see you crack And they say you go to heaven In a brand new Cadillac They're giving you a script And they wanna see you trip But you spit the poison now Cause you're sick of being sick Say you go.